sitting in a non-smoking area. Put it out when I'm finished. You'll put it out now, mister. say I knew it because I bought I don't even want to show it to you because it's probably still got pieces of my skin on it but um I bought like a three dollar <laughs> razor yesterday because I refused refused at the local convenience store to pay twenty dollars for the Mac three razor with three blades or whatever like do you know what I mean and like oh, I just the best a gymster can get absolutely I just on, on a point of principle ships so I just I think I've got about three of the like handles because I keep buying the freaking packs I don't need any more <laughs> handles I just want anyway but um so I on principle I bought the stupid disposable one and shaved last night and as I was doing it I thought this level of commitment means Sheppy will be the full bush tomorrow like, yeah yeah say. and and yeah. right you are the last time I had a haircut or a shave was the uh, second of November so um <laughs> It's, I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> wow what a stinger well that's the end of the whole act surely uh good stuff jammy good stuff uh, can i say because i've been meaning to say for a while um i've been listening a lot to the podcast you put me on to during this very podcast i'd heard about it before but I, you got me absolutely into it and that's the um smartless nice and Bayman and Hayes. And I've listened to a shit ton. In fact, I tried to take a break and go back to Goldstein, who I have also also just listened to hundreds um, and not grown tired of. Um, but I, I, I listened to the first twenty seconds of a Goldstein. I was like, no, I'm in that. I've I've regenerated. You're not for <laughs> me anymore. And it's like meeting an old companion. So I'm like, no, that's not me anymore. I'll come back to you when the time is right, but not right now. See you later, alligator. And then I go back to uh to smartless so i've listened to a shit ton i went right back started at the beginning my first one randomly was woody Howson, but then i went right back to episode one and just gone forward and i skipped some but sometimes well now always i'll always listen to the first five or ten minutes before the guest is introduced because the banter is always amazing anyway and then even then sometimes i won't know who the person will be because i haven't looked and it skipped forward and i'm listening to a new one and, I'm, and that's nice. And then when it is someone, I'm like, okay, I don't give a fuck. Sometimes I'll listen anyway and I'll give it a chance. And then sometimes I'll skip forward to the end for their end bands. But I'll <laughs> listen to the majority. And it's great. I will say Hayes does annoy me sometimes. Like they will start going down a really interesting avenue and then he will just absolutely change the subject. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's like, oh. And the Sarah Silverman one, I always want something like this where someone like Sarah Silverman to say or be asked about being on this episode of Star Trek Voyager before she became quote unquote Sarah Silverman. And, you know, no one ever asks her that and stuff. 
And then suddenly she offered the information on the podcast. And she said, oh, because, you know, I was in this episode of Star Trek Voyager. And I was like, oh. And then Hayes was like, oh, yeah, of course. I was like, oh, well, Hayes will be a Star Trek fan maybe. And, and then Hayes just totally changes the subject. Oh. And, uh, it was like, Hayes, you fucker. Um, so and Hayes does stuff like that all the time, but that's the prime example. I was like, "Oh my god, so close!" Uh, <laughs> so there you go. That's my personal. And he's the sci-fi guy, isn't he? He's the sci-fi guy, so he should have been all over it. Oh, Star Wars. Yeah. Well, okay, he loves Star well, Wars, but yeah. um, he might. But he knew he was like, "Oh yeah, of course you were in Voyager," but then he changed the subject. So he knew that she was in it. She, he'd probably seen it. But for the some banter. Reason, is like Conan times 10, isn't it? Like it's next level extraordinary how good they are as a trio, to be fair. Yeah, it's really fun. And and yeah. it's sort of, and I've been binging too, but I'm, I'm, I'm now, I'm doing what you're doing, but I'm very late to the party. So I'm kind of, now I'm going back to square one. I did the Dex Shepherd episode one yesterday, yeah. funnily enough. Oh. And, uh, and now I'm going to just mop up what I haven't done in order. And, um, and, but I just, I think, it's just one of those things you binge it, but you almost think like, this is so good. Like you could almost redo all the openers, like you say, or and there's just so many little yeah. nuggets that come out even in the middle as well. And they just yeah. aren't it particularly, but Bateman's really coming into his own for me at the moment yeah. with some of his little snarky comments. Are really good. <laughs> really good. Yeah. They're exactly like as you hope they'd be. They're very good. At, like, they're, they're all throwaway from, from Bateman yeah. and Arnett. Everything is the best ones to throw away. And Arnett does that classic, which is like what Pollock and many people do, is he'll say the punchline and then immediately step on it and be like, and anyway, and just like, you know, say something really cutting or insulting or horrible. And then be like, but as I was saying, you know, it's very nice. It's <laughs> so, so yeah. satisfying. <laughs> they always take the piss out of like Bateman having a pampered life. And Bateman's father, or as everyone else called him, the security guard on the Fox lot. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I've just listened amazing. to the It's amazing. And then he's like, but anyway, what I like to think, and he just changes the subject and that. that the funny of it, it's great. It's a bit of a Gervais as well. Uh, yeah, it's very good. It's very revealing. I listened to the P.T. Anderson one today, um, and that's brilliant as well. And he's great. And it, and actually, it inspired me um, because, in part, of what we're actually here to talk about today. Um, and I have I've been watching a lot of quality TV, like Mad Men and Yellowstone, but I have been watching a lot of shit films primarily let's just go straight into it um please scan me mission to moscow and so i was thinking i just need something to balance it out and because i had started this um the podcast with pt um we watched on sunday perfect sunday afternoon fodder we watched there will be blood and so that was really great and we had seen it ages and eight years ago we had watched it but so we this was our second time around but we've done a shit ton of Daniel Day-Lewis since then. So watching it through that is a different experience as well. So that's nice. So, yeah, hooray. What a good film. Yeah, man. Wow. Is it... Um, is it? Does it get funnier with age, Sheppy? There yes. will be blood. Yeah. Yes. It's very funny. Yeah. Very Amazing. Funny. And, and once you've seen, you know, for example, Phantom Thread, which is very funny... And it is a very black comedy. Um, when you see that, you're like, ah, and then you see them together previously with There Will Be Blood. 
it all comes through. Let me say, and and it's so obvious to me now, it's like I'm such a, a dimbo, but I've always said Anderson in many ways is like Kubrick and kind of does things in a certain way. And also, uh, specifically, There Will Be Blood is very Kubrickian. And I've always said that. And I've always loved that uh, There Will Be Blood. And it's always been one of my very, very favourites. It's like joint with Boogie Nights, I think, in terms of my P.G. Anderson's. There Will Be Blood is pure Barry Lyndon. And Barry Lyndon has always been one of my very favourite Kubricks. And the more I see Barry Lyndon, the more I love it. But now I've watched There Will Be Blood. I'm like, oh, fuck, no, it, it's not just Kubrickian. It's pure Barry Lyndon. It's like this guy, and he starts from nothing, and it's his fortunes along the way, and it's his ups and his downs. And But ultimately, he's a massive cunt in both cases. And it's like, oh, that's, that's genius. Oh, I love it. And spoiler to Barry Lyndon a little bit, at the end, his ultimate comeuppance is he does the one nice thing he's ever done. And it kind of is a mistake. Um, whereas in There Will Be Blood, he never does anything nice ever. Um, and every time he begins to do something nice, he smashes it down. And and it's a, it's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, hooray for There Will Be Blood. I think I, I'd love to see There Will Be Blood again. I haven't seen it in Yonks, Sheppy, but I, I think um, so it's probably even more pressier than ever now with where America's at, right? And it's just total zag because you probably haven't got there yet, and kind of bookending the potty conversation, but back with the guys around um, the, the Smartless Boys. But I just listened to the Bono one, and Bono said oh. something very poetic. I, I actually genuinely kept skirting it and avoiding it, and then when I listened to it, it was quite a rewarding one. It was quite fun. They really, really asked lots of good questions. But but one of the things was, you know, look, um, how do we save America? <laughs> like uh, Ireland, you know, you've been trying to do a lot to help Ireland, whatever, whatever. And, you know, look, I'm not here to advocate for Bono jumping in, but he just said something quite um, poetic about America, where he goes, look, I think America um, has, is one of the most extraordinary experiments and ideas and thoughts that's ever been there. And it hasn't quite happened yet. And I thought it was just quite an interesting thing to say about America, like it hasn't got to its potential yet, you know, and I just, what I love about that, what you just said about There Will Be Blood is, the reason is, they're all fucking Daniel Day-Lewis's at the top, and they right. keep bloody smashing down whenever they could do something nice, you know, and I think there's something in that. But um, anyway, Sheppy, it's way too <laughs> early for me to try and talk international politics. Well, instead. I'm glad you brought it up, frankly. <laughs> but, Jimmy, absolutely right. Um, yes, instead, dot, 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 he said dramatically, please continue. <laughs> well, I'm going to say, after a really good epic long uh, pre-title, Daniel Craig-esque pre-title sequence, uh, <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to Shoulders of Giants, I'm Jimmy. Hello, I'm Sheppy. And we are the What If podcast for movie sequels and prequels and spin-offs and excitement. But today, Sheppy, is a bubble episode and it is a very it specific one. <laughs> And uh, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about a franchise that you've uh, kind of alluded to already there, but just um, yeah, the the Police Academy franchise, Sheppy, which is the Uber sequel franchise from our childhood, right? So um, yeah. yeah, this all happened because um, I, I don't know, it just seemed like oh, 
never having seen Police Academy for a long time, I suggested playfully to Martha, hey, you ever seen Police Academy? And she was like, I think so. Is that the one? I'm like, yeah, probably. And she was like, all right, yeah. So I was like, shall we? And I've got them anyway. So we watched the first one and, and everything. And then I knew it was probably going to be a slippery slope. I don't know why I even say probably. I knew it was going to be a slippery slope. And I knew we would probably watch two. And then one and two could work, could stop there. One and two work. I know them all well enough to know that, yeah, okay. But I knew as well, deep in my heart of hearts, to three to four to five to six and i knew by that point the ski jump if you've gone that far you do seven which i which i had never seen um and i was like right and so it was one of those things where i'm taking this little ski slope little ski slope but i know that actually as the grade tilts and i go down i'm going to miss the little bit where it evens out and just go steeper and faster and steeper and faster and then right off the edge of my Indian Jack parachute land in a boat. So there you go. <laughs> there you, um, so, I so can't wait my, to do the film by film. Where that's pretty stand? much where we got yeah. to and that's that's how we got to this point. So I guess that was the sort of the the, the back the backstory. I, I I was I there was another point where you could feasibly stop and it was with four. And we were gonna record above this bubble. And I had seen up until four, and I was like, "Well, yeah, we could just do the Gutenbergs, but you know, the Mahoney eras. But if you know, I've come this far, I might as well do all of them." And so we postponed a little bit and jumped. <clears throat> and so, so now, yes, I have done all of them, and you, it's given you time, I believe, Jimmy, to see the first part. I saw Police the first one. Yeah, which yeah. works as a standalone. You know, it's like Rocky. <laughs> They're very comparable, and. They both could just work. You don't need a sequel. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you say it's like rock? <laughs> you heard me. You heard me, Jen. That's right. That's right. I'm saying Rocky, Oscar winner, deservedly so, beating Taxi Driver. Um, Rocky and the first Police Academy. Police Academy. They shouldn't even be called the first. It's, it's Police Academy. They're, yeah, they're both they're both equal in measure, in cinema, in in worth, in talent. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And also, yeah, a lot of sequels. And the sequels became famous for being good examples of, like, especially in the '80s, um, the, the the ever decreasing circles. You know what I mean? Everything. You know, it's like every sequel will be made for less money, and they will yeah. make less money but they'll still make enough money and then on video just keep churning them out. With Police Academy, they literally made one a year from, I believe, 84 to 89. They did wow. six, um, one a year, and Goot was there before them. And Gutenberg, you know, what a career in the 80s. Cocoon, the Police Academies, um, Three Men and a Baby, Short Circuit. Good for him. He's flying. He was, Absolutely. He was flying high on a rocket cycle after coming hot off diner and little bits here and there. Steven Gutenberg in uh, Marathon, no, not Marathon Man, the boys from Brazil. Um, he gets stabbed up by some Nazis. Yeah. Ooh. Did you ever see the boys from Brazil? No, I don't think I did. Yeah. Gutenberg, in, this is like in the first 20 minutes, gets stabbed by a nasty man who I believe is a Nazi um, with a massive knife in the belly. 
So old Gutenberg. But then Dinah, then all of those. I always thought, crikey, how did the Goot manage to make four Police Academy films whilst making all these other fairly substantial films? And I haven't even mentioned Surrender with Michael Caine and Sally Field, which flopped, but you couldn't, you know, he didn't know that. And High Spirits with Daryl Hannah and Peter O'Toole, um, which also flopped, does a big high-profile flop. And then Cocoon and Return, Three Men and a Little Lady, trying to grab back, you know, at the end of the 80s into the early 90s, knowing that he's like Chevy Chase, the 80s was his playground, and, you know, darkness and dark times await. And he's like, fuck it, he's doing some sequels quickly. And then he's off off the edge into this weird action films and love and but nonetheless he had a hell of a run hell of a run but i often wondered how he fit in the police academies and he's because other than the first two he could pop in you know a couple of weeks for for each you know three and four certainly because they're all very much ensembles at that point um yeah a couple of weeks i reckon for the, the, the basic goot three weeks max at your basic travel lodge. I can't even imagine the 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 filming time was too long for these movies generally, Sheps. Yeah. It's really only the last set piece where things get, you know, yeah. get taken on the road, isn't it? Um True. although I, I seem to remember like I, I for some for some reason six is the one I have the most memory about, but we can come to that a bit later. But just that there's yeah. quite a a significant scene where they're on the side of a building and they're kind of like the 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 Proctor and um oh, Harris. Harris. I'm I, I actually I'm going to as we're chatting now quickly get the police academy up so I can remember some of the character yeah. names. I was thinking well, let that me, before. Let me I say did. this and sort of like to set things up as well. I want to ask you um in a second. So as a little quick bookmark, I'm going to ask you in a second your first time watching Police Academy, just to do the classic before we get into the reads. But also, in terms of, I also want to say, I know you watched, you you saw the first one and you watched the trailers to the others. And I, just prior to this, us doing this, I watched also the trailers. So uh, more things are sort of fresh in my mind and we can talk about the trailers as well. Uh, nice. One thing, <laughs> the, the, the tag at the end of the first five, as you pointed out, is Tackleberry shooting something, <laughs> be it a child or a cat or a shark. It's amazing. You'll do it now, mister. And spoiler, <laughs> Tackleberry is my favourite character. In I can't wait to unpick that with you. Bloody love to unpick that with you. He, I mean, there is definitely, that was, uh, we'll, we'll come to it in a minute, but before, I, I didn't write it down, so I'm going to forget to say it otherwise. There's definitely just a tweak here and there of the original Police Academy, and you can make a serious movie about what the, the initiative itself like yeah. a traumatized Vietnam vet or whatever he is, like you know, and like yeah. a, you know, I mean, I, I've really got to get into Jones with you because particularly how they like portray him, he's like a guy with serious mental health issues. Right. Like he's just sitting there playing an imaginary computer game in his door. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you take it as a kid, and you know, as an intoxicated adult, you're like, oh, crazy Jonesy, he's got this power, so he just does it. But you're right, he's insane. He's absolutely insane. It's tragic. And also Tackleberry, him joining the force, like you say, if you portrayed that in a different light, it could be an exact Rambo, but like inversed, where he's absolutely on a knife edge. But instead of fighting the establishment, he joins it. And it's like establishment 
Rambo, and he's he's like a company man Rambo, and he becomes a cop, but he's fucking insane. Dude, I, 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 I think, Sheppy, honestly, if everything you and I have covered on this pod so far, we're approaching our 50 like a speed, you know, like crazy. But we, <laughs> everything, I'm saying everything, even the genius of some of your pitches, I reckon a Bel Air style serious version just called Academy. Like, you know what I mean? Like taking the Fresh Prince and making it in Bel Air. Yeah, I just yeah. call it Academy and do Do it that. a TV show yeah. and do it like Lost. Um, so you do the pilot and everyone is established and then you do episodes where each episode 90% focuses on a bit of backstory, establishing everyone in and yeah, and everyone gets like a full hour episode yeah, in man. the first, you know, seven episodes. Oh. So cool, yeah. but keep the blowjob gag. But everything else yeah. is serious. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly, we should also, I suppose, I you know now maybe you mentioned stuff. It should be a quick disclaimer. We're talking in depth about the phenomenon which is police academy. I have to sort of say it is shit. It's all shit. It's all shit. It's all various degrees of shit. They're all nuggets of gold in there. In some of them, in all of them, there are nuggets. Even seven, there are like two specific nuggets only two but there's a smattering throughout the rest and it's 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 nice but it should be said it is shit it's also uh, wildly homophobic and not even yeah. in the humor and the jokes and the blue oyster stuff but even just in the narrative like you know when mahoney is kissing at the end kim cattrall in at the end of the first one and um Commandant on the side of like, Mahoney, you two, cut, you two men, stop that. And then he sees it's a woman that Mahoney's kissing. He's like, that's more like it, Mahoney. And it's like, oh, no. So there's, there's stuff like that peppered throughout, which is really badly judged. But taking that, just acknowledging it, you know, I think it's, it's safe to say, and the quality of the films, I think it's safe to say, if you were really strict about it, you could say Police Academy 1 is a two-star film, you know, I personally would like to give it a three. I think there's enough in it to give it a three, but you could argue that it's a two-star film. It is sub. And then after that, where does that take the rest? <laughs> and maybe now is a good moment to say one of my recollections before I ask you this question, Julie, is that I remember, do you remember Shelley, this episode, this TV show with Howell Bennett? It's on in the 80s wow. and 90s. It's yeah, a, I think so. It was a real show as a Giants wannabe because I think it was originally on in the 70s or very early 80s. And then 10 years, 15 years later, it came back on ITV, like 93, 92, 91. And it was Shelley, Hal Bennett's back. And I watched it and I was like, fair enough. And it was very ITV sitcom -y. But I remember at one point he did these sort of monologues to himself out loud with these real soliloquies really going off on one. That was his thing. And he got home at the beginning of the scene and he hangs up his coat and he says to no one and everyone, like, just come back from the cinema, saw Police Academy 6. Six presumably being the IQ of whoever wrote it. And, you know, audience goes nuts. And then I remember at the time thinking he should say, needless to say, I will not be watching the preceding five. And he didn't say it. I thought, oh, that's a wasted opportunity, Hal Bennett. And I stopped watching the show after that. I lost all respect for it. But it's all connected to the police academy. So there you go. That's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's absolutely the gang, Sheppy. And I love that your brain was already doing that. <laughs> I 
I went straight over. I, I skipped over it completely, went back to the upper hand, and uh, all was forgiven. So, yeah, it was fair play. Band, That's a man. show I would bring back now. Oh, to answer the God. question from the TV episode, what show would you bring back now? I'd bring back the upper hand with all the cast, and I'd CGI on a black one. Uh, I would be well up for that. I was still in love with her even then, Sheppy, when she was the grandma in the upper hand. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. The um, upper flange. Oh, my God. <laughs> I could have done a Will Arnett and just talked over it, but I decided to let it hang there and just announce it. Did. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah, oh God. Um, anyway, which was the first one you saw, Sheppy? Was, was it the police academies? Um, yeah. I assume it was the first one, but I, it was the fourth one that I was very familiar with. What about yeah. you? I, I fourth most familiar. I think the second was. I, I'm pretty sure I saw two first. Mm-hmm. And then it's uh, a real rocky two wannabe. Yeah, and then went back and watched the first one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like two was on telly once or something, and then it was yeah. like boom. Okay, it's great. Even it's... possible I watched uh, Peace Academy three. Yeah, and you know what it is? I think I was watching A View to a Kill, and there's that Police Academy esque scene in San Francisco with the bridge when they're in the um, fire truck. <laughs> And yeah. and it's like Dick Tracy's there and he gets his car fucked and it's like, oh no and all of that. And it really and even one of the characters looks like the guy with glasses, it's like Feckler from Police Academy. And it made me think at that moment, I think I want to watch Police Academy. And that's a memory that I think has just come to me just now. And I don't know if it's getting mixed up with a different memory, but I'm pretty certain that's how I came to watch. And in that case I sought I sought out Police Academy. And therefore watched it first, but maybe I'd seen bits of the others first. But I guess that's my origin story now. Is I thought, well, you know what, I should probably watch Please Academy because I'm enjoying what you're saying. It's it's a real. I, I, I've got an early like. Well, one of the things I'll just quickly say as well is like my sort of kid memory of it is being on those fun splashes where like you know we'd be dropped off and like you know mum would go to work and then we'd go to the swimming pool for the morning and we'd go and watch something at the, the in the afternoon and Police Academy Six was one of those fun splashes. Probably Operation Miami Beach was the one the year before as well, but that was a <laughs> summer holiday staple doing a fun splash on a Friday. Nice and um. I remember there was like either an American kid or some kid that was, oh God, what's the character in between us who's just always coming up with bullshit? But essentially one of those kids. And um, and he was like all about, you know, in America, they're up to like Police Academy 21 or something. And we're all like (laughs) hanging on every word he's saying. Were you that kid, Jimbo? Were you that kid? (laughs) When you came back from your two weeks in Florida, telling everyone you'd met Paul Hogan. Unbelievable. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so that was uh, yeah amazing. Well, look, if we just in case we keep that in, Sheppy, like the Paul Hogan thing was a classic. Where I, grew up. <laughs> I was I was in a mall in Florida with my dad, and there was a cardboard cutout of Paul Hogan carrying a six pack of fuzzies yeah. and, and probably a crocodile in the other arm, and then. Um, yeah. And they said, do you want it? And it probably cost a fortune. Like, it was like, do you want a picture of Paul Hogan? I was like, yeah, do I, boy? And so I got this <laughs> Polaroid taken of me with my arm around this cardboard cut of Paul Hogan. And I couldn't wait to show you. Yeah. <laughs> that actually you were doing the Hogan. thumbs up in, in yeah. the photo. You've got one arm around Hogan and your other arm's doing a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> 
so, I don't think I stopped yeah. giggling all the way back to England. But anyway, um, that was amazing. <laughs> I, uh, but yeah, so the, there was that, and then I just wanted to say as well, like there's something really that I just even watching it again yesterday. Just my overwhelming thing when you're talking about the two stars and where does that leave the franchise? Like, there's something quite depressing about the quality of it in a yeah. way like, there's something just really a bit Tell me much. like it's not worth the money you're paying to go to the cinema to watch it yeah like it's pretty rough yeah. but <laughs> like you say there's, there's something to take from each one well, for sure but also in terms of the police academies we were the a good age for mm. we were too young for the first one it was 84 i'm still saying um, and maybe we were, we were a touch too young but we caught up with it and also as the films got sillier anyway so number, you know, well, all of them after one, especially, but three, four, five, six are very kiddie friendly, really. And we were, you know, nice kiddies watching it. And so it caught us at that nice moment. So we were very uncritical about the more shit parts. And it is very fun. And it's lots of big, fun characters. And I also noticed that, uh, you know, really a lot of them, and specifically three, four, and but it's three and four, I'm going to say, are, 50% of them are like montages or like a, a clip show where it's just a, a random scene, like there's a random scene and then a random scene and they're not connected by any narrative thread. Um, random scene, random scene. Um, yeah, which is nothing wrong with that, but it is. It's it's like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a Russ Abbott type show. Yeah, like a sketch show. Or something. <laughs> sketch show, that's exactly the word. Um, yes, exactly. It's like a sketch show for us. Like, here's the scene with Zed and um, Sweet Chum. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Muppets. It's wonderful. I love um, that. You so, can yeah. feel the drugs on the screen, Cheppy, can't you? Oh it's like God. a pure... Someone should have tamed them, but they kept having these little moments on set. And it makes me happy yeah. that they did. Yeah. Like little moments on set where they're like, there's just... Try this and do this and throw throw Zed and Sweet Chuck together and see what happens. Yeah, like, it's really that fun. Was all There's a nice energy to that, but it is pure. They're having more fun on the set than maybe we are watching it now. But well, as kids, true. we loved I, I... it, right? We loved it. it was, there's even a moment in the this. I think it's relevant to say now. I think it was the Police Academy three or four, probably is when Zed comes in to become. Uh, you know, part of the, the the troop, probably three then. And anyway, yeah. like he's just he someone punches probably high tail like punches the uh a yeah. boxing bag as they're running past it and like it, zed sort of just runs past it and dodges it and then it just takes sweet chuck out and it just really it made yeah. me laugh out loud which in the trailer because <laughs> you just want it of course he wants it to happen yeah it's really happy and it's very well done you know yeah. um it's stuff like that it's it's timed very well and it's done well it's done in one shot and you see and it's actually yeah two people go by it's um, Zed goes by, look, and he stops and kind of looks and then carries on. And then uh, the Chinese dude goes by, and then it comes back. And it's, uh, yeah, obviously, I assume someone's just holding it here. You know, it punches, they caught it off camera, and they're holding it. But it's just, it's very nicely done. And Sweet Chuck's getting smacked. Um, <laughs> him and Goldthwaite Gold, um, are friends in real life. I think they became oh. friends through Police Academy 2, and then they became a good double act. And so that's how that happened. And obviously Zed is a, the baddie in number two, and he was so popular, him and Sweet Chuck become a double act in three and four, and it's great. And it's nice to see them. And then in Shakes the Clown, which is um, Bobcat's directorial debut in the early 90s, he plays the titular Shakes, 
who's a clown. Uh, the guy who plays um, Sweet Chuck is in it. Um, as, as basically Sweet Chuck. And it's really nice on their friends. Oh, that's so cool. That makes sense. That's warm and fuzzy, Sheppy. And look, I'm going to tell you, at least 50% of the things that call themselves comedies now are probably, you know, not as good as some of that energy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, at least they're bringing the right energy in the police academy yes. movies. So, um, yes. yeah, that's really, yeah. No, that's so awesome. Oh, going um, back to the first film then, I mean, did you, did you watch that a lot as a teenager? Yeah, surely. Surely, Sheps. Mm. It was very familiar yesterday, rewatching it. Very familiar. I, I, I'm not, I don't think there were necessarily too many, like, gag surprises, if you know what I mean. I, I, more, yeah. like, little decisions now that I can appreciate more, like the movie starting with Tackleberry, for example, yes. uh, as a security guard. Nice choice. Yeah, and very odd, but nice choice. Like, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like... yes. It's, it has a very creepy energy to it, that whole scene with the guy looking to leave and, like, you know, it's just a bit... One yeah. thing I noticed watching it and in respect of being familiar with the sequels anyway before re-watching them, but certain characters from the first film are, are not... In, it's like the pilot of a TV show and then the, the rest of the show, different characters. Like there's this fat guy and he's a major character in the first film and he he's not in any of the of the others, and also um, oh the the, the uh, Don Juan guy who pretends to be Italian, yeah. Um, that character is never heard from ever again. I got Those that here. George ones. Martin, they called him because he was like Georgie, right. and he's putting it on, wasn't he? Yeah. And like, and I you know what? Yeah, yes, <laughs> and it's just so. It's like I, I have to say, I think he was a mistake as a character because. In a way, like he detracts from Mahoney a little. He takes mm. away from Mahoney's sort of vibe because I think Gutenberg isn't quite good enough to play Mahoney as he needs to. He's not Bill Murray. I, he's not like I you know, guess. Not... I will say, I guess they were going for some sort of which didn't really work, but they were going for a thing between Gutenberg or Mahoney and the Kim Catchall character, so they couldn't have the character running around having loads of sex because otherwise. You would lose sympathy for the Catrol yeah. story thing. So they needed, that's my giving them the massive benefit of the doubt is why they kept Mahoney, like yeah. not, you know, not as Bakeman as he could be, even though he's, he is also that sort of Ferris Bueller archetype of like, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's a rebel. He gets into that fix because he doesn't like to be told what to do. So we've got the Bakeman types, you know, thing going on. But he's also baby-faced Gutenberg. One in and up, one in the oven, one in the oven. He's got a crop top, a real Alex Winner wannabe, yeah. and it's got one in the oven with an arrow pointing down. Uh, it's, it's strange choices by Mahoney, but good for him, good for him. Good for him. I, I was actually buoyed by, let's just have a moment on Gutenberg in this first movie, Sheppy, because I think, like, at the beginning, I was quite, look, you can you can take the fact that there's some slightly jarring bits with the script even in the car park you know what I mean it's fine it's funny enough and he does a cool <laughs> moment with the car and everything it's really cool and you're like okay nice and I'm sort of on board with Mahoney and actually I say all that stuff about George Martin it's quite like cute how he then defers to him when he turns up and like and he's sort of just finding his way and he's been the first half of the movie I actually think he's pretty good and then there's mm. just something like I don't know, like, I've, I think I wrote something, but the thing with Goomberg is I can sort of always see him breathing through his nose. 
<laughs> and I just sort of like, and I when I put here something about it, like it was just a bit weird. Like I thought, um, I just didn't, I just don't think he necessarily landed it as, as with the charisma you need him to have. You know, like yeah. I think he just. Um, just even the uh, maybe the, the jump the shark moment is just when he's watching the ladies in the shower. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, like, and it's not not just not just watching it now with the lens, and you wouldn't get away with it now. But because you know, to be honest with you, I'm still I still have for my own sins. Like you know, I'm still a bit of a child of the '80s, so I'm sort of you you're living vicariously as wrong as that behavior is. You're like, okay, I get why he's doing that, like in the '80s context. But it's just. Um, I don't know, like, he, just, there's just something about him, Ships. Have you nailed it yet, where Gooks isn't quite up to the the standard, watching um, the rest of them? Or... Well, the thing is, I don't know. I think because of the calibre, no disrespect meant to anyone in that cast. Some people are actually brilliant. But, you know, it it the bar isn't high. So Gutenberg, by default, is the highest, you know, the the the, the the star that shines the brightest in out of that whole bunch. And that helps. And he is babyface. And so you're kind of talking to Team Gutenberg, is what I'm saying. No, he doesn't have the Bill Murray stripes element. Um, but then again, I can't imagine a harder-edged character like a Bill Murray from Stripes or Bill Murray from Bakeman or anything. It, it kind of wouldn't work because He's so he's kind of like a ball, like a, a bouncing ball bouncing around and surviving that way. Where you know he's not he's he's cheeky and a wise ass and everything, but he's not necessarily gonna win a verbal argument. He's not like yeah. out with the zingers. He's a prankster and a japester and a kind of a sort of a forgotten frat boy, but he doesn't like authority. So he's this sort of thing, but he's also kind of boyish. So with the Gutenberg lens, I Mahoney is you know, yeah, he's he's kind of just like goes with it, and he's not really a bad boy, and he is sort of out of his depth often. He just sort of like you know he can't. He's Roger the Dodger. He can't help himself. I I get that ship. I love that, and I think like with your Murray's, there's sort of a slight arrested development going on with this Gutenberg. There's no development yet. He's still lost. He's still finding his purpose. He's still to grow right. up. You know, it's a bit more closer to Hoffman in the Graduate. <laughs> Let's yes. go there. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of character, years. isn't it? And it's like he's, he's really... Michael Corleone at the wedding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad yeah. we've gone to these, like with the Police Academy pod. This is making me very happy. We yeah, are going to write Academy by the end of this. That's going to be the commitment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's still going to have an exclamation mark. Even though none of the others have an exclamation mark, Academy, which is going to be serious, is still going to have an exclamation mark. (laughs) I thought Hightower was spectacular as well, Sheppy, and, you know, forgive the pun, but stood out above above the others too. Yeah, I thought he was excellent in it too, to be fair. Really comes into it in the second half of the movie, but really lands it and is, is super powerful and endearing and actually... You know, it's just a great moment when Mahoney teaches him how to drive, and then like, yeah, I'd forgotten that scene actually. To be fair, totally forgotten the dynamics of that scene. And the, the, I mean, even that, you strip it back, and there's an edge there, like a really interesting edge for the pilot, you know, of Academy. Yeah. Like, there's a really meaty freaking scene there. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, everyone, everyone has nice moments in that film, and his moment is going on there. 
Tackleberry kind of gets his first moment, you know, his only moment really at the beginning. And yeah, I know he has his shooting the cat moment and stuff, but everyone kind of gets their scene. No one really progresses beyond that one archetype in the future films. They all remain in total arrested development. They are that forever. And there's no growth. But I do like, like you say, in the first one, Tackleberry, I mean, Hightower being taught how to, how to drive. And I think Bubba Smith, because he's not, you know, he was like a, a football player, right? And yeah. then he became, you know, Thunder and a few other things and this. But, you know, he, he does very well and he doesn't try, you know, to, to go big. He, he plays it within his own confines and comes across very well. It's that sort of, you want to protect, he's one of those massive dudes you sort of want to protect. And then yeah, you're like, oh, I tell him. So I like that. Yes. <laughs> and, and that I forgot he's a florist. <laughs> Oh, sorry, yes, please. yes. No, that's okay. You're absolutely right. He is a florist. And I like that he showed that vulnerability and that Mahoney helps him out. Just like in the quick spoiler, but in the second one, um, Tackleberry has like this whole thing where he's in love with, he fancies his partner, who's this uh, motorcycle cop babe. and um, But he's like, goes for Mahoney for advice and it's a similar sort of dynamic. Uh, so I like it. <laughs> um, so yes, Yes, for that film and the ending, you know, it doesn't quite land. And the Kim Cattrall relationship with Mahoney is never really developed. She was in this and in, of course, Mannequin with, of course, Harris, G.W. Bailey. G.W. Bailey playing Harris. By the way, Kim Cattrall also in uh, Porky's, which was one of those films, which was that sort of frat boy humour, I'm sure. Animal House started it all off, I am sure. And this sort of film has been around really anyway. But then... Orkies, uh, Revenge of the Nerds, booby films, for your mum to walk in on, in opportune moments on like <laughs> 11 year old birthdays. And Police Academy was one of those. And then it was obviously huge. By the way, a couple of, um, did you ever see any of the rip off Police Academy films? For example, Combat Academy set basically exactly the same premise, but set obviously as a, a military academy. And, um, and there was also Ski School. And there were others. But did you ever see any of those? I mean, if I did, Chips, it's probably you and me getting it out from the local spa. I, I don't <laughs> remember a scene of any of those, but there's a very likely chance I saw Combat. Yeah. But did, have you, yeah. from memory, do you remember? I remember you? seeing Combat Academy quite clearly. But I have to say, it might have been uh, PJ, uh, pre-Jimmy, because I, um, I think I was quite young still and a bit too young perhaps the sum of the humour because it was still in that mould of Police Academy it's basically the same and it's two naughty people who have to either go to prison, it's pure Mahoney set up or they go to the Combat you know, Academy of Military Academy Clooney, this is like 87, 80, I'm going to guess Clooney is like the baddie he's like one of the drill people he's, um, and he's like low down in rank but he's like telling, he's kind of the Harris, although there is a more kind of like a general who's also the Harris, but he's like the muscle, and he's the Darth, the Darth Vader, if you will. And it's like military, baddie, 80s Clooney. And I remember seeing him in it, not knowing that that's Clooney, just like when he was in that episode of Street Hawk, which would have been the same sort of era. Um, nonetheless, I remember that. I remember there's a, ca a character on the front cover, who's one of the generals or something, who's looking really stern. And in the film, I remember thinking, I don't know why he looks so stern on the video box, because he's really friendly and nice. 
to everyone. He's a really friendly guy. And in retrospect, so I've only seen this film once, so it's amazing how much it stuck with me. In retrospect, the character is a massively flamboyantly, obviously gay character. And I'm sure it's very inappropriate and homophobic and all of that as well on top of that. But I remember not getting that, that he was gay. And just like, oh, he's so friendly. Like, oh, hello, how are you? And it's like, oh, he's, yeah. so, I don't, you know, so there you go. So that's my other memory of watching Combat Academy. Um, <laughs> and it was also very much like Stripes. It was the Mahoney Bill Murray type character and the Spengler, Egon, um, Howard Ravis type character with glasses who had a stammer that had a romantic interest in it. So anyway, there's your Combat Academy podcast all wrapped up. But I remember that quite well. I, like I said, I've only seen it once. And that, like in 1988. Oh man! Well, look, I, I that makes me want to see it, Sheps, because I want to see a bit of Clooney as Vader. To be honest with you. So. <laughs> yeah, I remember specific scenes, but I better stop there because I, yeah, you know, so it's another downward slope, which is all sorts of fraught. Um, so yeah, no good stuff. I am. Um, um, I've got two of, things, yes. Sheps, on Police Academy One. I want to just mention before we move on, if that's right. So yes. one was just yes. like, I do think the speech gag is an all timer, but that blowjob speech gag yeah. is an all timer um, with Lassard. Like, and by the way, I love his energy. That actor, I should have bloody looked that up. Is it George something? Tree. Um, yeah, George Gaines. Yeah, that's right. George Gaines. Nice, Sheps. And yeah, his energy is just lovely. I love the timbre of his voice. I love how he talks, George Gaines. But what yeah. an amazing joke it is for all time. And I appreciate it probably is quite problematic now because the punchline is that it's Mahoney gave him the blood drop but didn't, you know what I mean? And all that stuff yeah. around it, you know. But, well, um, to, for him to think that he got the blood drop from Mahoney, I think is absolutely acceptable. Um as long as then it doesn't play into like the whole, oh no, not a man, just like not even, oh no, not a man, but oh shit, it's Mahoney more than anything else. Like, oh, it's yeah. that cadet. That's awkward. That sort of thing without any sort of blowback later, like, oh, how revolting or anything like that. So I think that, see, the joke itself could still work. Um, yeah. in Ace. And there's a callback to it in maybe even number five, where he's telling an anecdote as Lassard to some people. And, and we just come in, you know, in a classic fashion at the end of the anecdote. And he's saying something like, needless to say, I always check the curtain under the podium. And everyone's like, ha, 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 ha. So he's obviously just told everyone the blowjob story. So that's nice. <laughs> that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since one of the later films is like more family friendly. But if you know the first film, you understand what he's talking about. <laughs> That's actually great writing. <laughs> um, the, the, I, I've written down here, Sheps, the Apple exclamation mark. I can't make head nor tail of why I've written that down. The Apple exclamation mark. Is that mark. because that's what starts the... Um, yes, the of course it is. Of course it's it And it's, 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 it's Butterman. <laughs> I always forget his name. But yes, he's he always starts... The guy with glasses... Who, um, who always turns around and does the classic with a plank of wood or a ladder or his truncheon. Um, he, does, he does all of that, and he starts the riot by throwing the apple and it plumps off that guy's head. It's amazing. It really made me happy. It may, I think it <laughs> makes it a three-star film, just that nice. specifically. And, yeah. yeah, it's really... I think I think Academy might be three ships, um, but I, yeah. I, I think it might even There's be... There's an argument. I would give yeah. it three. And I think um, it could be an objective. But, 
And I think it's worth mentioning just as a general point, but also for here, like, and because it always makes me happy when this happens, but the, the theme tune to Police Academy is iconic. The characters are pretty iconic, to be fair, as well, but the yeah. theme tune is iconic. And I, I, I'm I, so happy you mentioned yeah. that, Jimmy, because that was absolutely something I wanted to touch on. And we never mentioned it. We did a whole pod about, and we said at the time there are going to be ones that we've forgotten about, but the Police Academy one, I don't think people ever really actually mention it when they talk about great themes, but it's fucking iconic and brilliant and, and rightfully iconic. Yeah, absolutely. And they play it. The band play it at the graduation in the movie, <laughs> which really made me happy yeah. as well. And I was really like, of course, yeah. it's so cool. And it kind of yeah. totally works. And yeah. It's the uh, Octopussy. It's the Rocky Three. Yeah. As a charming tune. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> but yeah, that's that just makes me really happy. And 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 I will say the characters themselves, they are in themselves, I do think about them still in my life. Generally, your tackleberries, yeah. your high towers. I'm Big forgetting the name, the but the lady with the squeaky voice hooks. who then always hooks. Amazing, that's it. and that's her character. You know, everyone has one th- element, and hooks <laughs> is, of course, she has a squeaky voice. Can you hear me over there, please? Sir? And then she's like, "I said, move it, scuzzball," <laughs> and that's her. That's her character. Although I will say, in one of the later ones, she's on like a phone tap, you know, classic again, up a pole. We're pretending with a hard hat on and tapped into a box. I don't know if this is ever possible to actually do in reality, but with <laughs> wires. But instead of listening, the the extra joke is instead of listening into what she should be, she's on a personal call. And you just hear her talking about her personal life and the date she was on the night before. And she's <laughs> like, I told him. Mm-hmm. So that's the only time you get a window that there's more to hooks than the eye. That's she's really not nice. Always munchkin, like, <laughs> oh, bad. Oh, just great. <laughs> what I love about that too, it's like they got themselves into this little cul-de-sac police academy where when I was telling you about value for money, like, yes, it might not be worth 15 bucks or whatever a ticket, but the bottom line is, you know, people would be screaming for a refund if she didn't say, don't move dirt back yes. in every single one or yes. whatever, like, you know, or, yes. you know, Tackleberry didn't put his gun into a fish's face and say, get out of the water, boy, <laughs> or whatever, like, you know. You should like, keep all of that. That's true. I'm not saying change the fundamental element of the character or indeed change that one scene <laughs> that has to be in it. Keep that, like James Bond wearing a tuxedo or whatever. But maybe open it up and you get to see her on that date and it has nothing to do with the plot it's just what hooks gets up to yeah. and you see her on her date on a time off and and that's it and it's a funny humorous thing which ends with her having sex because why not uh, and by the way for- someone who has been um you know uh who's very timid and is perhaps in a has coming off the back of a relationship where you know there were gaslighted or something or whatever like you know it's, it's just in this sort of point of her life where she wants to reinvent herself and join the academy like Sheppy I'm getting tingles thinking about the serious version of Police Academy like I think these characters could be so fucking rich so rich. A bit like Carol is it Carol from Walking Dead Um, Yes that sort of angle perfect yeah 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 yeah. man I tell you I mean, I don't know that it yeah. necessarily gets me up in the morning excited to write because it's not necessarily, <laughs> but it's pretty bloody cool. Yeah. <laughs> Academy. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I'm in. 
Yeah, I mean, well, this is know. it. This is this is the double. This is the double because it's a bubble, but it's a bubble within the bubble with where we have, in fact, done our shoulders of giants live, and this is our our police academy. So we've got our cake and we're eating it too. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Tackleberry now? Because I was just going to ask you a question, which is that yeah. if you did, like this is just a one-off pitch question for Academy TV show. You do Academy the TV show. Is your opening scene Tackleberry? Like, is it like they do it in Police Academy where you know the uh, surprise party is a good gag too, by the way? Yeah, yeah. But, there's, there's, yeah. there's a callback to that in, in number six as well. Uh, where That's he nice. jumps around the corner and shoots, and it's his father-in-law, who's another nice callback. He pops up, um, with a, but in this case, he's with, with some milk with a bullet hole in it, and the milk's going everywhere. He's like, I just got up for a midnight snack. He's like, Dad. <laughs> so that's another thing. So would I do the equivalent, but he actually like just some shoots some some meth head or something in the face? Um, yeah, yeah. Start with tag. Um, why not? Yeah, why not keep it keep it here? Do it in the order that it is done in the film. So to keep yeah. that nice, subtle element. So whoever's next, maybe it is Mahoney. It's, ideally, it's Mahoney last. And so you meet everyone else and then you meet Mahoney's and he's the... But you could have a huge twist where halfway through season one, Mahoney is killed. Uh, and wow. like, you know, really, you know, suddenly. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's a thought. But anyway, that's my, you know, that's, that, that's a thought, but you know, we'll get back to Academy. Um, and another, <laughs> but that's, that's solid, solid stuff. In terms of tack um, and starting it, yes, I say yes. In terms of tack in other things, I want to say, um, well, no, I guess I'll, I, I might as well go through it. I will just say Tackleberry is my favourite character. I think he's funny, but he's also quite sweet and vulnerable. And he does have, um, char- not character growth, but his story is expanded. Quick spoiler, in, in Police Academy 2, he meets this girl. And one of the main storylines in Police Academy 2 is the his partner. They're both like chips. And the part, and his partner's this girl. And he goes and asks Mahoney for help, uh, for advice. And he's a virgin. And then he and so he opens up as well. He says really loudly, damn it, Mahoney, I'm a virgin. And everyone stops talking. And then he's <laughs> like, he says, everyone better get back to their business. Or I'm going to start cracking some skulls. And then it's cut. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, and then he goes on a date and it goes well and then it goes right back. They go home and then he's being a gentleman, but they end up kissing passionately. And it's like a real um, naked gun, millions and millions of guns as they de gun each other, lethal weapon three styly, mega, mega, <laughs> mega, ridiculous, mega, mega, mega. And then the gun goes off in the dark and it's like, Tech, Eugene, cut. It's brilliant. So all of that um, happens, and then at the end, and, and they say, "I love you, I love you too." At the end of this first date, and at the end of the film, spoiler, they get married, and then she has a little cameo in the future one. And it's her parents who are always having fights and the punching, strong lad, big lad, out, all of that, and it's brilliant, and it's all expanded and continued throughout the whole se- uh, series of films until six, and it's really lovely. And in six, at the beginning, and Tackleberry goes down and they recreate that first scene and he shoots into his kitchen and it's the dad with the milk. Um, he's with his like eight-year-old son who's, who's come down with him. And, okay, dad, I'm on your six. Sorry, son. And it's like, oh, so it's continued. He's got a kid. He's got this whole life. So there's my whole Tackleberry thread, uh, which, I, which I love. And the actor... He died very young, like when he was 50 or 51. He's very sad. Dave Graff, I believe. He's wonderful. He was in an episode, do you remember uh, Beauty and the Beast with Ron Perlman? Oh, and wow. Of course, oh, he, was, yeah. he was in a later episode of that as a baddie. 
and he was in an episode of Seinfeld. Do you remember uh, Tackleberry in Seinfeld? Oh as a cop God. as well. That's and he's amazing. A, uh, it's when George is scared because he, uh, I guess, a mad what's-his-face is outside, and he says, and him and Jerry don't want to leave the diner, and he says, well, look, let's get the cop, we'll leave with the cop. So well, I've forgotten the guy's name, but the crazy ex-boyfriend of Elaine um, is outside putting on clown makeup. And so they go to the cop who's uh, sitting down and says, excuse me, and it's Tackleberry, can you come outside with us because there's a scary guy who wants to hurt us? Sure, sure, I'm just going to have a coffee and then I'll be out. And he goes, great, thank you. And so George and Jerry sit down and they start bantering, but then they see, like, look at this. And George sees, like, Tackleberry's ordering, like, a sandwich. He's ordering off the menu. He's going to leave here. What's going on? He's just going to get a coffee. And then he gets this massive sandwich. Oh, now he's getting a sandwich. And, and, it's, and he goes, excuse me, you, you said you were only getting a coffee. Are, you, are we going to go outside? And he's like, in a minute, I'm thinking about getting some pie. He's getting some pie. So good old Tackleberry. <laughs> Good old Dave Graff. Um, so brilliant. Good for him. That's nice, man. I need Actually, another bloody Seinfeld lap, is what that's telling me. I don't I, I don't even recall that shit, which means I've got a lot of treats again there on Signy. Yes. But anyway. Yeah. Dave Graff, I need to put a pinpoint because if I forget to say it, I'll be sad. He told a story where he and his wife, before Police Academy came along, they're at this um he'd been in something or whatever. He managed to go to this big expensive Hollywood party. You know, pure A-list, really, really nice Beverly Hills mansion, amazing hors d'oeuvres. He's there with his wife, surrounded by all this opulence, and they're having this serious conversation, like how are they going to pay? How are they going to pay their gas bills the next day? Because they were really broke, and they were in this situation, this crazy Hollywood party. And they're like, and it was it was a weird, surreal situation. And then he got police academy, and then he was like, that's why I was in all of the police academies because I never wanted to be in that situation again. And so, yes, yes, I was in Peace Academy five, six, seven. Um, and I'm like, good for you, Dave Graff. Absolutely good for you. And it's, uh, I mean, I can imagine it was quite limiting for some of them because the roles were so iconic to be offered other stuff. Yes. I'd do the same thing as him. If you get a break as Tackleberry and it is that iconic, like people are going to see you as Tackleberry all the time. It's going to be hard to get something yeah. that will pay that well. So you just... They're probably... I man. bet some people Ride thought it. he was Thomas F. Wilson. I'll bet you anything. It's <laughs> like they either give him shit for being Tackleberry or they give him shit for beating up Marty McFly. It's really unfair. <laughs> So how was two ships? Take, take me through the rest of them. Come on, what happened? So well, you... okay, you know what then? Um, I, I'll, I'll go through my my uh, my little statement. I want to say, um, and I've touched on this, but all of the films they are, of course, fundamentally weak in writing and characters and plot and so on and setups and structure. Um, and a lot happens that are basically just like in, unconnected. But each film has some very, very nice physical shtick, which we touched on with the punch bag. And there's millions of examples um, and at least one non-ironically decent line. And everyone, by the way, is usually going for it. And I never mentioned G.W. Bailey, um, who plays Harris. And I, I forgot. So forgive me. I just really want to touch on that. Tackleberry is my favourite character, but a close second is Harris. Um, I love Harris. And so does Marta. And in this flat, Morbid, Morbid, Morbid is said very often in any situation by anyone. Um, and it's it's good stuff. 
Um, so I like I like him, and he he was in Mash and other things, and he he's still around, and I think he he was he looked older than he was, but he's a bit of a Steve Martin with his hair wannabe. So when he was actually Harris in the first film, he wasn't that old, um, but he was very good in that sort of role, and he did lean into that. Of course, he's not in Please Call Me Two and Three. But he's in all the rest. And he's also, of course, with Steve Gutenberg, again, in exactly the same adversarial role in Short Circuit. And he's exactly the same sort of more stupid version of the same character in Mannequin with Kim Cattrall. So there you go. That's amazing. I'd actually forgotten he was in those other movies as well. That's amazing. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's brilliant. He is great. It's crazy they didn't bring him back for two or three. Really, it's weird. It's weird yeah. that they didn't. And I'll get to Mauser shortly, but um, <laughs> yeah, he, but yeah, um, he's great, and and Harris is amazing, and I like that he's not he's he's not stupid, but he he makes stupid decisions and he does stupid things, of course. But then again, you can't start thinking, why would he do that? Why would that other person do that? Because of course, that doesn't work when you're watching a film like this. You you, you have to let stuff like that go. Can I say, um, Shep, I think one of yes. his most stupid decisions is taking that motorbike to try and then, <laughs> like, sort out the traffic jam and then, like, you know, basically losing control of it immediately, going up the ramp, and then <laughs> the, the, the the fall, the, the graceful arch in the air, and then the fall into the horse box, into the horse's yes. ass, which we don't see, is one of the most extraordinary, you don't see it, but you know it happened. <laughs> Better than Jaws at the beginning, yeah. I'm thinking. Like, it's huge. Yes. It's like, you're really and like, whoa, with the rest of the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you can see, It's like the head in the box in Seven. You never see it, but you think you've seen it. You're like, you see the head, don't you? No. You, and it's the same. You see Harris's head in the horse's ass, don't you? No. You think you do, though. It's so clever. Again, <laughs> genius film. On every level, sublime. Uh, yes. So good for Harris as well, for Bailey, for selling that. Um, <laughs> hooray. Um, I'd also say um, what happens a lot, all films are roughly 90 minutes, which is great. That's the perfect length for this type of stuff. But they all feel as if there's like at least a three or four hour cut and it's just been hacked down. Uh, and then that's why it's so disjointed with no narrative flow through any of them. There's a little, there's a hint of them in the first few, but not really. And um, characters are set up in the first third and then totally forgotten by the end. That happens in the first one and the fourth one. Um, all storylines or plot points that seem to be going somewhere just suddenly disappear. Well, suddenly two characters are best friends or romantically linked when there has been no screen time before that. You know, before that. That happens all the time in these films. There is much more continuity between the films, though, that I was expecting. And I've mentioned some of this, but like with the Tackleberry storyline with the family, but there are certain storylines continued, um, never expanded on, obviously, but continued. And there are loads of callbacks. Characters and past interactions are always referred to. So if two other characters in a previous film had sex, you might even be forgiven to forgive, you know, to forgive if the characters seem to have forgotten that in this type of sequel, but they always remember stuff like that and make references and maybe even have like this different type of relationship with each other. Subtle, maybe I'm giving it too much, probably, but it's nice that they mention stuff. There are loads of callbacks, um, and this continuity 
uh, also goes some way to excuse the recycling of certain jokes, which is all the way through. Um, as you know, it's a real like they're still at it type thing. Um, also, with Tackleberry, his wife's family, with the fighting father and son, and they keep coming back. Um, but Tackleberry's reaction is always the same, which doesn't make sense because he's been living there. But it makes the punchline of the scene much, much funnier when he cuts to Tackleberry and his wife is laughing because the son is getting his face punched off by the dad, and Tackleberry's face is just like, oh, uh, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. Um, and it's nice that the actress who played um, the, the, the woman who marries him in the second film, she got another, you know, she was on a TV gig or something. She came back for a cameo in number three, which I like. Uh, I read that on IMDb. Um, the Blue Oyster stuff keeps coming back. And, you know, that, that is what it is. I had a chip shop at the top of my road when I was at university called The Blue Oyster. You and I, my even Jimmy, have got chips from on a drunken eve at the Amazing. Blue Oyster right. shop. Yeah, top of Stowe Hill in Newport. So uh, there you go. Most, if they da 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 da, most. I mean, that is iconic in its own way, isn't it? Yeah, it I mean, is. Yeah. And by the way, you know what? Speaking of iconic, we mentioned it earlier, but the theme tune is worth repeating. It is so good. The theme tune to Police Academy. At the beginning of all of them, when the Warner Brothers logo comes up in exactly the same way as with anything, when you start hearing the familiar melody over the top, like with the Harry Potter, for example. In this case, it's and then you're, it's so triumphant. And then it, you know the Warner Brothers shield disappears, and it's always the same. You know um, the nightscape of like Los Angeles over water, and then the blue writing coming up. You know Warner Brothers presents Please Give Me Seven or whatever, and it's like uh, it's so triumphant. And, bah, 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 bah. and you're like, yeah. In terms of the music and the association, therefore, it makes all the films really enjoyable to return to. And also, it's like John Williams said about all of his iconic scores, specifically stuff like Star Wars and Indy and Superman, is, yes, they're great, but they're all, when you think about it logically, every note is the, can only be that note. It's like, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. It can't be anything else. It just, of course it's that. And it's the same with Police Academy. It's like so simple, it becomes genius. Or so genius, it becomes simple. Uh, it's brilliant. So so I wanted to mention that again as well. So, that's, that's so really cool. The mileage we're getting out of Police Academy right now, the yeah. Williams, invoking Williams as well. And, and But by the way, the score is definitely right up there. Yeah, yeah. It's solid. <laughs> it's solid. So, so there you go. I want to, we mentioned number two, uh, Zed starts as a baddie, but he's still actually very sweet. I really like number two. Um, and he's softened in the later films, of course, but he is basically the same. Um, he's, he's always quite sweet as the baddie. Um, and he's just like misguided. Um, some characters don't come back, um, which we've mentioned. Oh, Doug, Doug Fackler, the guy with glasses, the klutz, um, he's in the first three, um, and they, they have this nice recurring uh, joke in the first film. It, uh, it's the wife hanging onto the car, am I right? He's driving to the yeah. police academy. She, in the third film, she wants to enlist, and um, he 
holds onto the car and it's exactly the same she pulls into the flowers and he goes flying over so that's well, just a uh, nice that's wonderful and i do have to say because i didn't write it down i forget like there's an amazing one shot where the wife is running after him but he's in the car yes. and to cut him off it's better than beulah like she yeah they just holds on her Jumping garden fences and doing different things. And she comes up and wet. She jumps to the yeah. She goes through a swimming pool, does the lap, comes out (laughs) over the fences. Absolutely extraordinary one shot. I'm like, (laughs) I'm all over that. That's amazing. It's the best one shot. It's a three star film. It's a five star film. (laughs) Short of the Dead wishes it had a fence jumper like that. Um, I and also Hot Fuzz comes to that. So yes, yes, uh, wonderful. (laughs) What a film. Oh, my God. It's, it's the best. Um, Am I rewatching today? <laughs> oh, I mean, whatever. how can you not? How can you not? He wasn't, by the way, Fackler wasn't in four and five because apparently he asked for too much money. But he is back in six. Uh, spoiler, in six, when he comes back, it's massively triumphant. And he gets like, I mean, I guess his agent won because he gets loads of little set pieces. It's a real Fackler's back. And you see it in the trailer. He sets up all the fireworks and stuff, and people are slipping up behind him. It's good stuff. It's very good. And again, lots of good one shots with very good platforms, which he's oblivious of and just causing things and spilling water and, yeah, culminating him in knocking, him knocking a cigar off a desk into a box of fireworks, which is there in police precinct. And then it goes off. And it, just as he gets into the office, you know, late for the meeting, and sit down, back and he closes the door. And just as he closes the door behind, you see a rocket go, and you hear this big explosion. And then this woman with massive hair, you know, smoking or a black face staggers past and the door just clicks shut. It's really good little things like that, which is, you know, it's worth pointing. And they're, they're good stuff right all the way through until six. So that's nice. <laughs> Um, I will say part two I've mentioned is a good sequel it does things but also you wouldn't necessarily expect in that it gives all the characters a legit reason to go back to the academy after graduating and it's all about the brother of Lassard uh, who's played by the dude from Flight of the Navigator amongst many other things um, the brother's precinct um, is a, is like is in disrepair and it's a really rough area so everyone comes in to help Lassard's brother so it's great. It gives them all a reason to come back. Um, and it really is a true sequel, actually. Um, and the plot does sort of continue. Um, and I like it. And, the, you know, it has Mauser, which I mentioned. And he is basically exactly like Harris. But the only problem is he's not as good as G.W. Bailey. He's fine. It's not his fault. But he is he's like Michael Ironside in The Next Karate Kid. He's basically creeps. He's 100% the same character. Uh, very badly judged. So, um, that's yeah, a but, but when you say the true sequel ships, I mean, I guess Harris is technically a tutor, isn't he? He's there yes. in the academy, so it kind of would yes. be a wee bit convoluted to kind of get him out of there and onto yes. the force, maybe. So it's actually quite they, pure. They, yeah, the sequel was like, I'm sorry, we'd love to have him back, but we've got to be pure to this reality. Why would he be in there? It makes no sense. God damn it, we're better than that. And, and they were right. They made the right. It was an artistic choice and they stood by it. It's just a shame that Mauser is identical. Identical. Um, I mean, Mauser loses his eyebrows, right? That's I'm yes. remembering that right. Yeah. Well, amazing. he gets his eyebrows, but he also he's washing his hair and it's been replaced with um Tackleberry's plastic sealant, so basically super glue. And mm-hmm. he's in the shower. And I used to know someone, you used to know someone too, 
who did a very good impression of like um, cut when he's singing in the shower and he's shampooing himself. He's like, they call me Captain Mouser, Yowser, Yowser. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And he's brushing his hair and he's like, oh, oh. And his hair, hands and his fingers and everything all stuck in the shampooy mess of his hair. He's like, oh, and he can't get it off. And then of course it makes no sense because he doesn't wash it off or anything. What he does is totally naked, covered in soap and suds. He comes out into the changing locker room when Mahoney and Jones and everyone are all playing uh, poker. And he's like, oh, what's going on? And he can't see anything because he didn't wash his eyes. And then they kind of trick him into going out into the corridor. And then he's in front of the like the Japanese delegation and all of that. And he's like, oh, hello. <laughs> and he goes, like, walks and goes, and it goes on. You know, not a lick of sense, but yes, it escalates and escalates. And good old, oh, yeah. So Mouse is worth it just for that. But yeah, it's... And he, and he loses his eyebrows later. And he has really, he, um, he gets, so in the first film, Harris has these two stooges who are stupid and they go to the Blue Oyster Bar, but they're not ridiculously stupid. They're just cunts. And one of them is more stupid than the other one. Whereas in number two, Mauser has Proctor. And we meet Proctor, who is basically those two in one. Uh, but Proctor is next level stupid. He's so stupid. He is like Steve Carell in Anchorman stupid. He's brick. He's absolutely certifiably retarded. So with that in mind, he's kind of sweet and innocent. And he just, he, unfortunately, he works for Mauser. And then Harris gets him because uh, it's Proctor and he's part of it by then. So I like that. Number two is good and, and Zed and everything. And Mahoney comes back and everything. So it's got plenty going for it. Um, number three, I always remembered very fondly, but it turns out it's the weakest out of the Mahoney era. Um, three, I was quite surprised by it being as weak as it was, if you believe such a thing. Um, Goldthwaite, um, actually, when he was doing this, he went to the producers and said, you know, at the end, when all these baddies turn up and we have this big motorboat chase, wouldn't it be a good idea if earlier in the film, those same villains we use, like in this scene right now, which is like about a third of the way in the film, where we have some random villains, would it be a good idea if it was the villains from the end and then it sort of ties together and the producers told him, like, keep making the funny noises. And he's like, ah! <laughs> so gutted. Um, <laughs> the plot of Dueling Academies, which is the main plot, it's, it's a solid plot. It's like, that's what brings them back for the, you know, the second time for the second sequel is that there's another academy and that's run by Mauser and it's them and it's so that's a good idea dueling academies but it's then again it's all sort of forgotten in the second half really and never really gone into any huge depth over so it's a massive wasted opportunity and the title police academy three back in training is bad on two levels one, it undoes the forward momentum of the first sequel by inferring that now the graduates are back at the academy, they're back in training, they haven't learned anything, even though they had learned stuff, they were really good police officers in the second film. So that's annoying in the first place. But secondly, that's not even the case anyway, because they're not back in training. They're back training others. So that's what it should be like back now in charge or something. It's ridiculous. Actually, it should be called Police Academy 3, War of the Academies or something like that. So that's really uh, nice. But what I like is, nice. is um, there is a sort of a crossover between two and three where uh, the two Harris stooges from the first film meet Mauser and Proctor and they all team up. So it's like 
you know, the Sinister Six sort of all coming together. It's like the Dark Avengers. If if Harris was there, it would be amazing. But then again, Harris and Malzer can never meet because then probably there'd be like a time cop disaster where they, you know, they can't occupy the same space at the same time. Um, also with, with this, the goodies um, are nice in the third film, uh, Callahan, the buxom lady, her whole thing is she's got big boobies and she sits on people's faces a lot. Um, now she shouts a lot. Um, she's back. She wasn't in the second film because apparently she was pregnant. And in the third film, she's back. So that's nice. Um, and of course, she's exactly the same and, and everything. Um, oh, and she hooks up with this Chinese dude in this film, but it's kind of a, the same as with Tony or whatever his name is, George Martin from the first film. But spoiler in the fourth film, they they reference it when she meets the Chinese guy again. Uh, so that's um, number um, three. I believe she's a great character. Is. Yes. She she could be she could have more, but yeah, and and that's another thing that it's another one of the the gag has to happen where she's in training, something happens to do with the boobies. Who yes. wants to go next? Everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yo. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Um, the film number three ends in this really random freeze frame where they obviously didn't know how to end it, and so it's just Lassard walking along the stage after the presentation at the end. And then he goes, ha, and does this kind of John Cleese funny walk with his legs straight out. And it frees for him on that. It goes, ba, 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 ba. It's really random. <laughs> it's just him walking. He's like, ha, ba, 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 ba. So that's, that was worth a mention. I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to go. But how do we end this? We need a button. We need something to punch us into the end credits. I don't know. George, why don't you walk across and go, ha, and put your leg out? Okay. Weird. Um. Now, I want to get to number four. Now, I remember seeing number four at the cinema, and it's the first, certainly the first one I saw at the cinema. I guess it was 86, and I saw it with my dad, and it was just him and I. And I remember that, and I remember being in the cinema and watching it, and I also taped it off TV, I guess, and I watched it a lot in the late 80s. So that's why number four is my joint favourite, I think, um, because it's very rich with nostalgia. And watching it now, I just naturally assumed it would be bad. And number three, I was shocked at how bad number three was. And so I was expecting four to be worse. And I don't think it is. Um, so, And also, as it turns out, it had the highest budget out of all of them. Um, and you can kind of tell it looks glossier. Everyone looks really healthy. It's a real season two of Friends wannabe. Um, and it's by <laughs> far the most 80s of all of them. It's 87. Um there are hints of mullet. There's a rap theme for the film. Citizens on Patrol. Of course there's a rap theme for the film. There's, a, there's skateboarding. And there are ninjas. Never explained. Just at the end, they're like, oh, and there are ninjas. And they get have a fight with Jones. Didn't mention Jones doing all the, all the voices and sound effects and stuff. He In the second film, out of nowhere, it turns out that he's like a double badass Bruce Lee. And he beats people up with karate, and that becomes his second element, where he's not just voice man. Even though when he does do karate, Bruce Lee, he does my favorite, the amazing fake dubbing, where his mouth goes crazy, <laughs> like, bite me, damn you, and his, his lips are going nuts. So that's great. Like, yeah, people say there's no character. No, exactly. Uh, and there's just a fight with ninjas at the end. Amongst all the other baddies, there's just also a scene with ninjas. So it's pure 80s. Uh, and, oh, yeah. And the ninjas are really shit. 
uh, like you know, Hollywood 80s ninjas, like really giving ninjas a bad name everywhere. Um, there's an amazing line, by the way, uh, in number four, uh, which is which is genius. Um, there's an amazing scene where in, in a courtroom and in a trial, uh, Jones makes everyone think that Harris has farted. And as they leave the court and everyone files out and Proctor is going with a disgraced and fuming Harris and Proctor says to Harris, I thought you could only be found in contempt by opening your mouth. And th that that's the best line I've ever heard. Um, so, so I like that. That's brilliant. Um, it, there's something very special. I think probably one and two are the best, um, but four has a lot. Um, it also has a, a lot of the same problems as three. It's massively nonsensical, disjointed. Um, but maybe, you know, it's, it is partly nostalgia and then maybe it's partly the glossiness and it all works for me. By the way, I always liked, I remember always liking at the beginning of number four and we see Mahoney and Jones just driving along, bopping away, just happy. And they're obviously partners now. And they're just in the groove and they're just happy to be cops and they're well-established and they're really into it. And they're just probably singing along to Citizens on Patrol, which is on the radio or something, or probably Jones's beatboxing. <laughs> and it's just like in the TV show of Police Academy, where it's the first film, is like the first season, and then there's like about two seasons per film in each case. Like Police Academy 2 is like the two-part finale of season two of the show, etc. So by this point, it's like season eight, and it's just them being cops and it's business as usual and I've always really liked that I remember as a kid always liking that and I was reminded that I liked that when I liked it when I watched it recently so I was like oh that's great um so so it makes me happy now um this was obviously written to be Gutenberg's last and there's a replacement for two skateboarders um one of them is David Spade um who then you would think, oh, he could be the next Gutenberg to Police Academy 5, but I guess he then went on to Saturday Night Live and just didn't ever get mentioned again. But he and this other guy are really set up with their skateboarding. They have a big chase at the beginning. Um, they're really heavily established in the first third of the film. And then the, the, the second half of the film, I think they're in like one scene really bad you know, they're not even given like a moment like a, a a shot at the end of them graduating or something uh it's it's really disrespectful maybe they are <laughs> at the very end but they are totally forgotten uh so that's a shame um there's also um yama 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 which is the whole scene where um our heroes trick david spade and the big fat dude who's also in wildcats uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh, him and also the other guy who was such a charisma bypass, he's just the one who isn't David Spade or the big fat dude. And they all get tricked into uh, by Mahoney and everyone at Tackleberry into thinking it's a bit like the scene in the hard way. Um, there's like there's a crazy guy and there's a gunshot and they get pushed in the back of the meat wagon with Hightower, but he's all dressed up in dreads and he's pretending to be this big voodoo man. And there's put in there with like quote unquote his brother in a body bag who Mahoney's just shot. And then um, the high tower in character starts doing this voodoo ritual all over the body bag in the back of the van with the three cadets locked in there with him. And he starts going, yummy, 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 yama. And that yummy, 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 yama was a huge part of my life for several years. And I totally forgotten about it. <clears throat> I see the film and it blows my fucking mind. 
So that's great. And then the voodoo ritual works and a chainsaw starts up and the guy sits up and cuts through the body bag and he's wearing like a Michael Myers hockey mask. He's like, yeah, with the chainsaw and the three cadets, David Spade, the uncharismatic guy, the big dude, smash out and they all run away in terror. And then Tackleberry pulls off and it's him <laughs> under the mask with the chainsaw. And then Mahoney looks at him and says, you can take the mask off now, Tackleberry. And he's like, ah, and that's the button at the end of the scene. Absolute so genius. So, so I like that. And Zed in number four has a much larger role because I guess he'd become a real Mr. T, very popular B.A. Brackis type. Um, so he gets his own romance in it, some serious screen time, and he even takes over the Mahoney role of the revenge prankster, um, which Goot actually does in all of the films, including this one. But Zed in, in number four is the one who swaps out Harris's deodorant with heavy-duty mace. And it's basically identical to the Mauser haircut bit but um, it's still funny. Uh, so yeah. that's nice. And also Harris does get yeah. it from all sides because Mahoney puts boot polish. In the first film, I believe, he puts boot polish on the loudspeaker thing and he gets it on his yes. face. And yes. in number four, he does the same thing, but with super glue. So Goot isn't idle. Um, so there you are. Number four is uh, slick and glossy and everyone looks great. Um, and, and, and also the end action scene is amazing in the planes with the hot air balloons. There's one stunt that they could do in a Bond film and do it right, but it's so good, and it's in this film where Tackleberry jumps out of the biplane and he falls and lands on top of the hot air balloon and then uses the rope and swings down and pulls the gun on the dudes. That's the best stunt I've ever seen in my life, and I love the concept, so I'd like to see that done again, like on a big budget. I want Nolan to, to you know, stop ripping off License to Kill and uh, go for the big guns. So that's nice. So I like that. That's um, amazing. Does it? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say and, now, and... man, just, oh, sorry. I just want to say, like, I think I want to just apologize to our listeners from my end, because every time I'm giggling what you say, I can hear, like, on the Wi-Fi network, for some reason, it's doing that feedbacky thing where I sound like Darth Vader instead of having a giggle, so... Just apologies. I'm trying to rein it in. A Sheppy does all the lovely games. I can't hear any, uh, any, any dark. Oh, that's nice. Unfortunately, you. I can't. Uh, if, if there is. I'm, I'm well up, but I'm happy for Darth Vader, honestly. Uh, by the way, Sharon Stone is in number four, and she, her, her sort of relationship with Gutenberg, they look at each other or something very, very early on in the film. And then there's nothing else with Goot and Sharon Stone through the rest of the film. And at the end, they're together and they sail away together on a hot air balloon. And it's done in a way that it is goodbye to Mahoney. And the side is like, Mahoney! Like, dan, 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 dan. They, they drink champagne and wave goodbye and do a Danny and Sandy and kiss and the hot air balloon goes away. Presumably forever. Um, so there you go. Um, so good old four. Number five, I also saw at the cinema. Um, it doesn't do much to establish anything, but unlike a lot of the others, it does actually, unlike any of the preceding films, number five does have a coherent plot that follows all the way through, uh, which is all about stolen diamonds in Miami, uh, of course, and the three goons' attempts to get them back, ending with this big kidnapping, and likewise, Lassar doesn't realise that the kidnapping is real, and that's all been sort of established earlier that like there's this big sort of thing that happens at this big police ball get together where something, some stunt like this always happens. So it's all been established, which is genius. 
I'll say this, Jimmy, I saw this at the cinema, the family cinema, just like number four, but I also saw it year, a few years later, probably on ITV, with you in Cranley. Do you happen to remember that really randomly? I, I mean, believe I... it's after I lost in, um, in Summerland, I believe. Listen, man, I uh, I don't know that I remember that specifically. I mean, I remember seeing it. I think it's the first one I saw in cinema. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, I I remember us liking it. I remember us liking it. I remember chuckling. Yes, I remember chuckling yes. at the big dude moving on the aeroplane and the aeroplane yes. tilting and stuff like, you know, the classics. And, uh, and yes. I remember they go off on one like in the Everglades, don't they? And like, you think Hightower might be dead for a second, and then he's not, or something. After he's wrestled, yeah, he wrestled the crocodile. crocodile, yeah, right. It's a real basil with the uh, the seagull. Yes, yes, um, you're right. By the way, I didn't even mention. Um, did you? So, do you remember Fall in great detail? Yeah, lots. Yeah, I, I didn't see it in cinema, but I, I recorded it, watched it all the time. We'll have definitely watched that together, Sheps. Undoubtedly, yeah, sure. yeah. I remember the skateboarding from Four, even as a kid, thinking. This is gratuitous, like the, the <laughs> skateboarding stuff at the beginning. Little yeah, Jimmy, curious. Yeah, <laughs> went in my notepad at the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, fair. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, no. Oh, yeah. Well, fair enough. And do you remember, um, and you saw Five, or we saw Five, the baddie in Five is played by the guy who plays Sebastian the Crab in the Disney cartoon The Little Mermaid and also played Odo, from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So good for wow. him. He's great. Very different in this. Brilliant in this. That's nice. Brilliant. Um, brilliant in this film. It's such a it's a good such a good performance. So he's, 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 he's very <laughs> the Hannibal Lecter so, of villains in cinema history. <laughs> it's like an ice pick. It just slices through. So it's like unstoppable. Man's a genius. Unstoppable. <laughs> As Lassard finally met his match. Um, <laughs> now, Matt McCoy is introduced in this film as the absolute Mahoney substitute. Matt McCoy, this was my introduction to him. In fact, the film says introducing Matt McCoy. Matt McCoy, a few years later, went on, grew a beard, and was the dad, the father, the husband in The Hand Rocks the Cradle. Um, and he was also Lloyd Braun in Seinfeld. Ding, ding, ding. Another yes, one I remember that. And I remember now that you said Hand the Cradle, that has blown my mind, by the way. But yes, yes of course, it's him too. He's got lovely, friendly eyes, hasn't he? He's he does. Got... <laughs> but he was in a TV movie with a similar plot to The River Wild, where he played the Kevin Bacon character, basically. And in that, I saw it on TV. He shot someone with a shotgun point blank when the guy was down on the on, the, on his back. And Matt McCoy shot him point blank with the shotgun. I was like, oh, evil Matt McCoy. My dreams have come true. So good for him. What a career. What a career. Amazing. <laughs> and how does he shape up as a Mahoney sub? Is he not great? But you know, it's unfair. It's, again, they they do all the same things. He goes to introduce himself to Harris. Harris calls him a butt wipe or something, and he goes butt wipe, and they do it beat for beat. And so then he, but then he does the smart joke of writing dork in suntan lotion on Harris's chest as he's iconic gag, iconic. Yeah, gag. yeah, and that comes back later when he gets a uh, peanut his hat. Proctor lights his cigar. And throws the match, Del Griffiths styley, and it lands on Harris's straw hat. And Harris is uh, chatting up some birds at the bar, 
And Proctor's like, sir, sir, he's like, not now, Proctor. And he starts talking the thing. The thing about police work, but sir, and his hat is like smoking and then it's pure on fire. It's, but sir, he's like, not now, Proctor. And the woman's just having none of it. And then Proctor runs to the bar and grabs a drink of another lady uh, and he throws it on the hat, but it's a massive glass of brandy. And off camera, you just see Proctor. And off camera, you see this big flash and this big woman scream. And then it cuts to Harris and his you know, hat is totally gone, like just cinder, like blackened twigs, and his shirt is totally burnt, and his face is totally you know, scorched and blackened, and his his um his shirt mm-hmm. is opened and dork is now visible again. So oh, and, yeah. and he's got pina colada on his nose from when he took a drink and he's <laughs> So that's genius. I'm watching well. Operation Miami Beach tonight. That's done. Done done. And I, I, I when I was watching the trailer yesterday. I saw him walking around with the dork on and I seem to, I don't know whether this is a mismemory or not, but I seem to remember thinking it was Dick instead and and Um, always thinking it was so clever that the good people at LWT or whatever it was, yeah. or BBC, whatever it was aired on yeah. ITV, um, they they managed to like do some CGI on his chest and change it from dick to dork. But I, I guess the tech didn't Maybe. exist and it was oh. always dork. Uh, maybe it's a real Harris horse's head ass thing. You know, you see it in your eye. Your mind provides. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe be it's been a. Me. It's a retrospective, and it was the very first thing that uh, I, uh, you know, Lucas ILM did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how they cut their teeth. Wetter. <laughs> oh, wetter as well. You're going to drag them into it. Yeah. Everybody. Why not? Um, there, had, there had to be a dual uh, project. It was too big. <laughs> anyway, 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 Jesus. <laughs> Take no, me back to the Everglades, chefs. Well, um... So I remember watching you with you this film in Cranley after we got lost in Summerlands. And um, I went to the loo. And when I came back, I had missed the bit where Lassard had been kidnapped and he thought he was it was a fake kidnapping. And I had to piece it together myself, and you didn't tell me. It's the opposite of a mummy when you come back and wanting to tell you too much. I know it ruined everything. A not pausing, B not telling, not debriefing. (laughs) In fairness, I think it was live. It it was we were watching it live on ITV. I think so. Okay, don't don't worry about that. Um, But there you go. Um, Ultimately, it is weak. And McCoy, by the way, is if not forgotten by the end, after the whole setup, it's a real number four with David Spade wannabe because he doesn't really live up to his new Mahoney setup at all. Um, And he never uses his wiles to save the day or do anything really, um, just punk Harris, uh, admittedly brilliantly, and also he inappropriately touches a woman at one point. Uh, so that's a shame. I will say six has a real plot. Now number five has one large plot, which is a, a you know a new a new addition to the series. Number five is the first one of an actual plot, and that's the the caper. But number six has an actual plot. It's a mystery, and and a, and a who done it, and and the villain's motive is be, is something out of Chinatown, man. It's lit. It's it's really or like who's doing more drama. It's like it's deep noir. It's so clever and so uh, logical and so well done and thought out. The mastermind plot. It, this is Police Academy Six uh, City Under Siege, which I had only seen once before. I'm a real opposite of you, wanna be, because I had seen it in an outdoor cinema in Greece in the early 90s, late 80s with my brother. Um, 
and we watched it outside under the, the, the night sky of the nice warm Greek evening watching City Under Siege, but I hadn't seen it since. Um, so, so that's exciting. And unlike Shelley, uh, I liked it. It's, uh, it's actually very clever. <laughs> it's so clever, so clever. Um, uh, and also the actor Kenneth Mars is in it. Now he is in Malcolm in the Middle, which I'm watching currently. He's also in Fletch. He's also Springtime for Hitler Man in the original producers. And he's also in my Muppet movie. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> he's in it as this kind of humorous mayor. By the way, I forgot to mention James Hampton, he of uh, The Cat from Outer Space and also Teen Wolf. Um, oh, yeah. He was in Police Academy 5 and he set oh, up as God. the mayor of Miami and he was set up and nothing ever happened with his character either. He's in like one or two scenes at the beginning and then about two days after watching the film, I'm like, fuck, what happened to Scott's dad uh, from Teen Wolf? So gutted. Gutted, but there you go. I forgot about that. Kenneth Mars is in uh, number six. Now I'm going to spoil Police Academy six, City Under Siege. Okay, uh, spoiler, spoiler for everyone. But the whole thing is, it's a mastermind, and he's uh, and the whole city is under siege. It's a huge crime wave, and it's all kind of being deserted. It's like Gotham City. It's like Travis Bickle '70s New York. It's dark. It's gritty. Anything can go. The population has fled. It's mean streets. It's war on the streets. It's hell on the streets. In the in the summer in Los Angeles, it's hot. It's hot. Um, and then you've got this master criminal mastermind you never see. You only see his shadow or his uh, outline. And he's got these three, uh, you know, professionals working for him, robbing and stealing and doing all sorts of things. Um, here comes the big spoiler. It's like the whole thing is who could he be? Who could he be? Well, the outline looks exactly like Kenneth Mars. So you're like, well, well I, I'm no super sleuth, but I think the mysterious shape is the mayor. And by the way, who else could it possibly be? It's not going to suddenly turn out to be Lassard, so it's going to be him, but it's the only person it could be. The only other person it could conceivably be is the commissioner who's in all of the films. By the way, bless him. Um, I'm so sorry, I, I don't know his name, but he died only just a few weeks ago, right when I was in my peak um, watching watching the show or watching the films. So good for him. He raised yeah, money for a Thai orphanage by doing a, a walk across continents. So oh, good man. for him. Nice. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So, so it's... So, but, oh, yeah, and you know what? At the end, when they do the big unmasking, they chase the mastermind, and he's in this big, does the pure spinny chair behind a desk reveal, and it's the, and it is the commissioner, and you are like, oh, so the only other person other than Kenneth Mars who it could conceivably be would be the commissioner, who's in all the other films, so that would actually be like quite a shocking twist. But then, out of nowhere, they pull his nose, and it's like a Kananga Mission Impossible fake mask, which has never been used before or after in the film, but he's got this exact mask of the commissioner, and they pull it off, and it's Kenneth's mask, um, and he's insane, and he's the big mastermind. So that's brilliant, but, it, but the outline, it looks exactly like Kenneth's mask. But that's a shame. Also, the three super stooges, the three um, villains who are doing, you know, the soldiers who are working for Kenneth's mask, 
they're brilliant characters because they're like the dark reflections of three of the heroes. Because the one guy who's like the gun expert and he's like the dark tackleberry. And you've got this other guy who's like super, super massive and strong and he's the dark high tower. And you've got this cool sort of gymnast karate guy who's the dark Jones. And so that's great. It's like when the B team are in it, the, the evil <laughs> agent. Uh, by the way, the, the evil tackleberry with the guns is from Class Reunion, another film from our past. Amazing. He's like an amazing Listen. guy. That's amazing, Sheps. Let me say a couple of things real quick. One, I think that if it had been the commissioner, there's something huge about that being like Dungeons and Dragons-esque, like the person yeah. pulling the street. It's been a, it makes sense of the fact that they were recruited in the first place right. and like just the undermining of the entire police force from within, <laughs> you know, kind of totally makes yeah. sense as an overarching arc of the series. That could be the, the big series. twist at the end of Academy. Um, and I love how you uh, said it could, couldn't be Lassard because it can't be Lassard. He is, and I'm going to give another ridiculous, he is up there with Gandalf and Dumbledore yeah. for me. Like he is yeah. in that absolute ball. Maybe he's the reason I love Gandalf and Dumbledore and that sort yeah. of nurturing grandfatherly figure. Like, yeah. I mean, he's that, pure like, good. Pure good. <laughs> Iconic. Maybe we bit homophobic, but you know, in other ways, all <laughs> pure good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I love it. I love it, love it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, good for him. He's in Tootsie, George Gaines. Uh, so good for him. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, he is. He is literally, and he and he kisses Dustin Hoffman. So he loves it. Um, so so number six is great. I will say again, McCoy has nothing really to do as the new Mahoney. He doesn't add anything, um, but it does have the aforementioned triumphant return of Fackler. Who, the guy with the glasses, who's the klutz, and he has loads of juicy scenes like that, um, you know, firework bit I mentioned. Um, and there's also, oh, but with McCoy, there's this bit where he, he's on top of Bigfoot. Bigfoot, by the way, pops up in a few of these films, meaning Bigfoot, the big monster truck, not Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah. So he's on top of the big truck, and he grabs a pole, and he just does this big gymnastic triple spin and flips up in the air. Not even triple spin, like ten spins and flips up in the air and lands next to everyone. And, you know, again, it might be missing the point to be this picky, but it's never been said before or after that he can do anything like that. He could have just flipped up and I would have accepted him landing in the car, but him flipping up and doing this big trick, I think I call bullshit. So uh, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, but I do like the big twist at the end, and you're right, and the fact you know that you're like oh my god is it the commissioner oh no it's not but it's nice it's the mayor um it also um these three baddies the dark mirrors it's a good idea but actually in pure police academy style it doesn't really amount to anything and at the end they all have the face off with their dark counterpart but you know it's the, with hightower it starts when he smacks the guy in the face and the guy kind of turns his head but doesn't really react and Hightower's like, oh, fuck, you know, one punch will normally kill someone. And then the guy punches Hightower, and it's the same, you know, and he's like, oh, fuck, you know. And they're both like, I've never been hit like that, and I've never hit anyone like this. You're like, oh, my God, it's all heating up. But then they have, like, this sort of little grapple, and that's it. And then Hightower just punches him exactly the same again, and this time he just knocks him out, and it's bullshit. So I don't like yeah. that. Um, nothing has changed. It's rubbish. Um, and also um, the the Jones fight is 
rubbish. He just pretends to be a robot and sweeps the guy out at the end <laughs> and then he knocks him out. It's bullshit. And the gunman from Class Reunion, he does all this cool gun stuff and Tacklebone does this all gun stuff. That's when he shoots Have a Nice Day with a machine gun in the, in the metal. But then the guy just runs away for no reason, even though they've been having this nice sort of competition. Nothing happens to make him that freaked out. He just like gives up and runs away and then Tackleberry throws them nunchucks at him and trips them up with nunchucks and that's the end of him. It's bullshit. So so that's that's a shame. All that potential um, ships. Yeah, 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 it's exactly. Wonderful. But it does have that good bit you mentioned where Harris and Proctor are on the um, window cleaning platform very high up. And a lot the of ridiculous stunt for the movie, but right? yeah, some stuntman did do this one shot where he is, he goes over the edge and he's dangling by his leg, and it's really good. So yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, solid, solid stuff. Um, by the way, totally out of nowhere, Tackleberry has this whole thing, especially in the first four films. I don't know, and fifth film, where and sixth film, he does it all the time, and it's the sting at the end of the things where he points the gun at someone. The the young kid who he points at in the second film, uh, did you recognize him from the trailer? It was like, time to go to school, son. Drop dead, I'm not going to school. Go go to school now, mister. And he shoots into the car. That kid is Wayne, the older brother from uh, Wonder Years, who's also the brother in uh, Back to the Future and Monster Squad. I don't know the actor's name, but Wayne was the kid. From Amazing. The I didn't pick it up from the trailer. That's so cool. Yeah, it was a one second shot, so fair play. But that's <laughs> nice. Um, and he does the same with the shark and stuff, so that's nice. Now, I will say seven. Um, so, as I said before, one, two, three, four, five, six were made sequentially, obviously, one a year. Um, there was no gap. For better or worse, they are all one thing. Seven came out five years later, or 94. It's a real shoulders and giants one of these. Like, oh, let's bring it back. And, and at one point, the producer wanted it to be this big budget thing. And everyone comes back. Mahoney comes back. By 94, he would have done it. Um, and sort of everyone comes back. But obviously, they didn't do that. And they went the other way. Instead of money, they took away money. And it, it was a made of anything. I knew I was in trouble straight away where the police academy music started and I was happy. But then all the other ones has that, you know, the, the night sky and the and the the buildings in Los Angeles with the blue writing. And this had a totally different, like, boing, boing, bing, bong, bing, pong, beep type thing wow. um, wow. for their titles. You know and, me and my fonts, Sheppy. It's got to oh, be, be consistency. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. No, they, were, they, they went off. They went right off. So I didn't like that. Now, honestly, as someone who I went to university was, to paraphrase him, there's so much wrong with Seven, there's really no point in talking about it because it's just, you know, like all of the films, for better or worse, I really enjoyed all of them. And all of them had lines and moments and just generally, yes, intoxication helps, but it was all enjoyable. And even the bad bits, you just you let it wash over you and the things that don't make, it's all part of the experience. But every now and again, a film comes along, which is literally, I guess, the definition of a one star or depending on how you use one stars, if you use one stars like I use two stars, then this is a zero star. This is like literally bad on a, on a genetic level. 
um, on every way, on story, on character, on direction, on the writing or lack of writing, or again, that disjointed stuff, but maybe something was set up, but it was cut out, but on a, on, a, on such a deep level and things of like comedy scenes not being filmed how comedy seems to be, no coverage, loads of really tight close-ups. It doesn't work. Um, you know, you think, I, I've heard number seven, you hear of it being bad, and I've always assumed number seven was bad in the way of like the Shelley, Howard Bennett, well, each one is worse, so how bad is number seven? And everyone sort of shits on number six, and rightfully so, but still. But then, no, you don't realise it's really bad. Marta and I, it's only an hour and 20 minutes with credits. At a certain point, we were like both tempted, and we only found out later, we were both tempted to say to the other one, should we stop? Is this too bad? It's not so bad, it's good. It's it's just repulsive um, on every level. But I didn't say it, and she didn't say it, and at the halfway point, we did stop for a breather, and we talked about how bad it was. And after we had sort of popped that bubble and cleared the air and discussed how very bad it was, the second half went by much quicker and we, you know, we got something out of it. There was maybe one line, which was good, which I've now forgotten. Oh, one thing I did like, and this shows you how far I'm reaching to find good stuff. But you know, I really like Morvet, Morvet, Morvet. <laughs> well, in this, it says Morvsky, 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 which is brilliant. So I like that a lot. And also there's one shot, which is actually also in the trailer, um, where the Mahoney character, they couldn't even get Matt McCoy. It's a new Mahoney character, even worse than Matt McCoy, even worse than the uncharismatic guy who wasn't David Spade from number four. But there's one bit where he jumps onto a car as it's Mutro, he's chasing the people in the car, they're speeding away and he does the classic, jumps onto the roof of one car, then jumps and lands on his chest on the roof of the next car. They drive away with him on the roof. And it's this one shot and it's slow-mo, this really cool shot of him jumping onto the car. But again, it's probably not that good, but I was just taking whatever I could. And like I said, <laughs> in the trailer. So so that's nice. Um, but nothing works. I'll give you one tiny example. But again, it's so sort of redundant to even point out. But there's one bit again in the trailer where they're all, um, they go, they're in Russia, they're in Moscow, of course, and they go and it's Swan Lake. And um, there's the people, oh, the baddies, Ron Pullman, really going for it. It's a real Beauty and the Beast uh, reunion with Tackleberry. But anyway, Ron Pullman's the big Russian mafia guy and he's watching uh, in the opera place, um, Swan Lake. And, and he's being observed by everyone and they're all trying to move forward. It, and then the cast, like Harris and and everyone else, they all come out on stage wearing tutus with makeup and now they're suddenly the, the, the ballet dancers. And it's like, well, what are you doing? Um, it's, not, it's not like Roger Moore in Octopussy where it's like, damn it, man, there's a bomb in there. It's it's just like well why why there was no moment where they needed to get onto the stage let alone no moment where they changed it's just one moment they're observing and now suddenly they're there that's oh, the God. tippest of the tip the tippest of the tip of the tippiest tippy iceberg but that's just one example um, so it's weird Christopher Lee's in it um, which is a shame. And also, it was the first American film to ever be filmed, apparently, around Moscow and shit. What a waste. Um, it's so awkward. The end scene 
it's a real obviously like one and done take and it's Christopher Lee kissing Lestard but it's like they both don't really know what to do and where to go and what's going on and then it just ends with them both being like da, 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 da. Oh, it's really God. bad so there's there's that's really it there's there's nothing to be said. Uh, Bubba Smith doesn't come back, apparently because they didn't ask Hooks. The actress who played Hooks phoned up Bubba Smith in tears, saying they're not asking me back for whatever reason. And so he said, I'm not going to be in it for solidarity for you. Um, so there you go. And I think they both probably dodged a bullet there. He's probably He feels like he was his character in real life, I tell. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, he yeah, defended cool. Hooks like he yeah. did in the first one when That's he tipped nice, that car man. over. Yeah. So there you oh, go. Uh, what a ride. What a ride. Wow. Wow, wow. The, yeah, it's a shame because the seven has deflated the whole happiness, isn't it? But that's, well, that's... you know what? Because it's so different, because of the five-year gap and because they changed the beginning to squiggle and squawk and because the tone is different, that it's shot different, it looks different, everyone looks a bit different, the editing is crazy, the way it's actually constructed is ridiculous, the way it's trained is... So none of it works, it's all disjointed, and it's five years later, so no, it doesn't taint the majesty, the power, the presence and the fury of number six and the subsequent five um, absolute genius <laughs> films, and they remain unsullied by what came after. That's amazing. The, the the average two star rating is protected. Yeah, yes, that's nice, yes. chefs. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I would say they are all basically twos, basically within the spectrum of twos, which therefore you could say makes it twos and threes. Uh, basically, seven is a one, meaning just irredeemably bad. Um, most are twos, but I would say four is a three for me personally. Um, one and two are probably three is my is my end thought on that and, and the rest are two. Nice Sheps. Nice man. Well listen, we'll have to book some time to talk uh Academy. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm not surprised this ballooned, honestly. I thought maybe an hour each, but I'm not surprised. And I I could I knew when I hadn't even got to my notes yet and we've been talking for an hour, I knew, well, okay, this is this is Academy time. <laughs> That's fine. We've done half an hour more than your average Police Academy movie, Sheppy. It's pretty yes. impressive, to be fair. Yes. I think, uh, yeah, fair play. Fair we've play. shown more discussion. character as well. <laughs> I don't think, again, not to get political, but I actually don't think... The comedy bit works for two reasons now. I don't think they could do a reboot right now for two reasons. One, that Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I've sort of uh, watched oh, bits of. Yeah, I really Jimmy, like. That's, yeah. that's genius. I, I'm so glad to be sorry. But yes, because we've been watching. We've almost finished. We've done like eight seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We're watching number one, maybe number two, when they're at the bar and they're relaxing all together. And yes, it is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Gutenberg, Mahoney is Peralta, Hightower is Terry. Um, they all have their substitutes. They, they, it's, it's absolutely matched one hundred percent. It's, it's amazing. They've nailed it, and I think so. I think it's there, but I also think like it's so problematic to even tackle and make because I think one of the things that makes 
police academy is like this sort of respected institution as it was back in the 80s do you know what i mean a little bit more than it is now you know yeah where every week there's some really really troubling headlines so i think well, it's golden just goose. really yeah golden goose in terms of the um the, the franchise itself not even this relationship to the outside world but just you know they they should have stopped at four and then come back like three years later with a triumphant return and, and maybe got Copes Gutenberg back. Um, and then it, then maybe another three years later, done another one. And they could have kept a semblance of prestige, uh, but they milked it dry, alas. Um, but what can you do? Hooray. Um, <laughs> hooray for it all, is what I say. I think it's all very, very nice. And I, I am even slightly nostalgic about the experience being behind me. Uh, it was it was a nice treat, and I hadn't seen any of them. I think I'd seen the first one maybe twenty years ago, and I'd seen the others uh, upwards of twenty or thirty years ago. It's crazy, but yeah, I I, maybe I'd seen bits of some, but yeah, not for a long time. I mean, they are not even bargain bin fodder, are they? They are lost to most people now. You just don't see them, get them. They're not. They're on the streamers, but you're not we looking probably... for them. You're not. Yeah. People don't. It's like the theme tune. We should mention the the cartoon as well. Do you remember we we you and I talked about the cartoon once? The Police Academy the animated series. Yeah, I honestly, chefs. I don't even remember that. I don't remember us talking about it. Which is I can tell you this: I was at your house in Cranley, and it was on TV. And but we were both a bit too quote unquote old for it at that point. We were like twelve, and we we're like that's such the babies. Um, and I remember either that moment or at school or something, you sort of came up to me in the playground, like, you're right, Sheppy? Like, hey, Jimmy. He said, listen, I was uh, watching the uh, Police Academy animated series last night. I was like, oh, yeah, go on. You're like, well, it was really stupid. Jones just walked up and, uh, you know, he said, hey, we, what we need here is a band. And he just, you know, went Ooh, with, his, with his lips and then just like a trumpet noise came out. It made me realise... When it's animated, it doesn't make any sense, that joke. It put me off the whole thing, so I'm never going to watch Police Academy, the animated series, ever again. And then you stormed off and left me to my thoughts. So <laughs> that's a memory. That's a memory. Well, <laughs> well that makes human. me happy about the younger me. i tell you the other thing that's made me happy about the younger me, and the, my biggest takeaway from the whole pod is the Operation 5, uh, sorry, please can be 5, Operation Magic Miami Beach, me doing that with you and Lasada, not telling you when you came back from the bathroom. <laughs> like that, that that means that we're not too different, you and I, Sheppy. Like, I did, a, <laughs> I did a science experiment there just to live vicariously and see what happened to Sheppy as he really thought, you know, like, yeah, yeah. that's nice. <laughs> and, uh, at some point, like, does he, does he think this is fake? You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they probably play it for too long. Let's be honest. The sun, <laughs> you know, the sun's eyebrows will do the talking, really, probably in those scenes. Like, oh, okay, I'll come in the lift with you at gunpoint. You know, like, I'm sure within one line you'd busted the, the narrative. Yes. But yeah, <laughs> I think it took me embarrassingly longer than that. But yes, <laughs> you know, it doesn't play out too, too much. Uh, wonderful. I mean, I could go on and on and on, just like the series itself. But maybe that's probably a nice place to uh, to begin the fanfare and to see us away from this an oh-so-special franchise with a group of people who became more than friends to me, but a family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> 
Well, I'm going to invoke Tackleberry and just tell you right now at gunpoint, you need to shut your mouth, mister. (laughs) We'd love to hear from you, so do feel free to reach out to us at shoulderspod.com. Uh, let us know any sequels you'd like us to do. Also, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a review or a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Have you heard the word out on the street? There's a new kind of heat that's walking the beat. Citizens on patrol. Because the neighborhood folks won't take no more. They got bars on the windows, locks on the doors. Clean the streets is what they'll do. They're going to get rid of all the punks like you. They're citizens on patrol.